Well, good morning. My name is Steve Murphy. I'm one of the ministers here at Discover. We want to thank you for joining us, whether that's here in the room or online. Um, thanks for being here. So, love, if I would ask you, how did you get here? Uh, why are you here? And what happens next? That could mean, how did you get here this morning? Uh, what or why are you here in this building? And what is going to happen next in this worship service or with the rest of your day? Something like that. But what if, what if, how did I get here is about your existence? And why am I here is about purpose. And what happens next is about the rest of our life into eternity. Well, that makes those questions very different, much more significant. This life can be amazing, confusing, challenging, painful, overwhelming, beautiful. And it helps when we understand what it's all about. This series, this month, is based on our we believe statement as a church. And we're going to cover two basic beliefs each of the four weeks. Our goal is that we would discover what we believe really does make all the difference. Our core class, which starts today, will dig deeper into these beliefs and other topics and give you a chance to discuss them. So that class meets at 1030 in the Fireside Room. We encourage you to check that out. So let's jump right in. Here's the first of today's basic instructions. There is one God, creator of heaven and earth, who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This basic belief begins with the very first verse in the Bible, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God is used over 30 times in the first 30 verses of the Bible, which suggests that God is the centerpiece of the creation account. And this, this is truly awesome. God simply spoke, and the heavens and earth came to be. Now, that's incredible. That's incredible. Humans can declare that something should take place, and sometimes it will if, they, if you have the right authority and if the situation is right. So, for example, if you're a parent, you declare to your child, it is now time to brush your teeth. I am I'm commanding that to take place. It's possible that that will happen. It's possible that it won't. <laughs> but no parent can say, I speak my child into existence. Or I speak the toothpaste and the toothbrush and the water into existence, for that matter. We, we can't do that. But with God, everything is different. What, what we create only happens because the materials for that to happen already exist. But God, out of nothing, created everything. Nothing existed, literally no thing. And out of that, God created everything, literally everything. Just by speaking, God spoke the heavens into existence. The human race has a, a, a bold goal to establish uh, a presence 
on Mars. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice and engineering, ingenuity, and uh, a big vision. Now, depending on their orbits, um, the distance between Earth and Mars can be anywhere between 35 million miles to 248 million miles. Now, if you were to drive 80 miles an hour, which, by the way, is illegal, but if you were to drive 80 miles an hour from Earth to Mars and, and do it at its shortest distance, it would take you 353 years to get there. Plus, you would have to drive through the sun, which isn't all that great. <laughs> Speaking of the sun, it's approximately 93 million miles away from us. The next closest star, Proxima Centauri, is 24 trillion miles away. I, I can't get my head around that, but think of it this way. So if our sun and Proxima Centauri, the next closest star, are in the same apartment, there are other stars that, like, would be in China or in Mars or on Mars. The more you study the universe, the more it is truly awesome that God simply spoke and the heavens and earth came into existence. No wonder David wrote these words in Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the air and, uh, of the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And actually, David begins the psalm with that same idea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Just by speaking, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth is marvelous. Astrobiologist and geophysicist David Waltham writes, Earth is the perfect place for life as we know it. That makes it a very odd world. Most planets are too hot or too cold, too wet or too dry, too small or too big, or just plain wrong for life in any one of a hundred other ways. And that's from his book, which is called Lucky Planet. Pretty interesting title. We don't think luck has anything to do with it. We know that God created earth to be the place for his creation, all by his design. In the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And Genesis 1 continues with a few details about the creation process. Light separates from darkness, the sky and sea form, the earth becomes fertile, specific lights govern day and night, creatures of the land and water appear, and then uh, creatures on the land. And God lovingly brings this all to pass through the process of creation. Now the word creation carries the idea of both an initial point of existence and the patient work of bringing something to perfection. Both of those are implied in that word in the original language. And that's significant for this reason. It means that from the very beginning, when God created everything, he begins to point to something else. The, the why and the how and the what kinds of questions and their answers. 
And then in verse 26 and 27, something different happens in this process of creation. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, we discover two very significant things in these two verses. First, while all of creation is special and deserves to be cared for, only women and men are created in the image of God. For some of you, the most important thing you're going to hear today is this. You're special. You're valuable. And your worth comes not because somebody told you you were special or we're not. Your worth comes from the reality that God formed you, cares for you, loves you, and has hope for your life and life to come. You're special and valuable. You're lovingly made in God's image. And God's heart is that every person on the planet would hear that message. It's part of why Matt and Chelsea and Abigail and the baby to come are going to Barbados. It's part of why we have a baby bottle campaign right now that we're doing with Pregnancy Decision Health Centers. By prayerfully filling a bottle with change and dollars and checks, you will save babies' lives. If you haven't picked up a bottle yet, we encourage you to do that. They're out in the lobby on the table. God values the life of every unborn child. And God values the life of every born person as well. Everyone is created in God's image, and Jesus died for every person. And our compassion will help people hear that truth. Now, whether you believe our borders right now should be more open or more closed regarding the immigration issue, God clearly has a heart for the refugee. In fact, Jesus was a refugee as a child. God also clearly says that we are to treat the foreigners within our land with respect and dignity and justice. And so while there is all this current tension, followers of Jesus have a wonderful opportunity to reach out in love and compassion to those foreigners among us who are likely frightened for their families. Now, to study this topic more, you can pick up a bookmark in the lobby. On it are 40 scriptures that talk about God's heart for the foreigner, and this was put together by a group called the Evangelical Immigration Table. You can also... Uh, Find this study, the 40-day study about God's heart for welcoming the stranger in the YouVersion app if you have a, a smartphone or a tablet. And then on the back of the bookmark um, is a label that mentions another Christian organization called World Relief. Um, the IF conference that was just here, uh, <clears throat> they, that was one of the, their partners for this weekend. But what I love about them is not only do they have a global perspective, they have a local office. And if you want to, to be a part of trying to welcome the foreigner who is in our area, 
you can contact World Relief, and they'll give you very practical ways to do that right here in our own town. Again, God created each person, and each person is valuable to him, eternally valuable. When we understand that, that affects our actions toward everyone, our perspective toward everyone, because we learn to see them through God's eyes. So first, in these verses, we see that all people are made in God's image. The second thing we discover is really vital, and it's from one simple word, the word our, in verse 26. And here's why it's significant. God speaks about God using the plural form. God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Well, that sounds like there's more than one God. So does that mean that Christians worship more than one God? No, it doesn't mean that. Christians believe in one God. Jesus affirmed that when uh, he was talking to the crowd and a teacher of the law asked him and said, um, so of all these commandments that God has given us, which one is the most important? And Jesus said, it's this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus says, the Lord our God is one. So that means Jesus obviously could never claim to be God, right? Well, no. In fact, Jesus himself and other uh, people, writers of the New Testament, clearly speak the truth that he is God. This is a little challenging. It really is. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word uh, was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says, And Jesus is the Word made flesh. Jesus is the Word who was with God and was God from the very beginning. In John 14, Jesus declares, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The same. And Jesus also says, I and the Father are one in John 10. Now, the religious leaders understood what he was saying. He was claiming to be God. And they said, this is blasphemy. And according to the law, Jesus deserves to die. And they were right, according to the law. But they were wrong because the only way Jesus didn't deserve to die is if his claim was true. If he really was God, which he was, which he is, which he always will be, which he always has been. And additionally, Matthew records these words of Jesus, the last words to his followers here on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything that I've told you about. And I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus clearly says you need to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he puts those all on the same plane. They are equal parts God. 
But Jesus says something interesting at, at the end as well. He says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What happens right after that? Jesus leaves them. <laughs> he says, I'm going to be with you forever. And then he, he goes to heaven. Well, that doesn't seem very likely, very logical. How can you say, I'm with you, but I'm leaving? It only makes sense if you understand that Jesus is God and that the presence of God is everywhere all the time. It's called to be omnipresent, and that's who Jesus is. Beyond that, it was a, a very important indicator for them that it was now their time to go and do what Jesus said to do. And when Jesus went to heaven, the Spirit of God came to earth just a few days later and empowered them to do the ministry they were supposed to do. Furthermore, in the New Testament, there are titles that are given to Jesus that are only used for deity, for God. Additionally, supernatural things are done in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit that could only be attributed to God. So over and over, we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all part of God. So here's this basic truth one more time. There is one God, creator of heaven and earth, who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, if you're struggling to get your head around that, you are like every other person in the room. It is hard for us to understand. And people have created analogies that sort of help us get our heads around it a little more, like God is an egg, or God is like water, or, or God is like a clover. And all of those can be helpful, but all of them are insufficient. God three-in-one is not a contradiction. God three-in-one is more like a paradox. The Trinity is hard for us to understand, but the Trinity is definitely true. Now, whenever God reveals a truth to us, evil is immediately going to do everything it can to cause people to either dismiss it or to disbelieve it or to ignore it. And so, regarding this first basic truth, this first basic instruction, this first basic belief, there are some dangerous teachings. For example, any teaching that says God is not the creator. Or any teaching that says, you know, the only possible timeline that God could have used was X in the creation process. Because there are Christians who know the word of God and have studied it who say, could be six literal days, it could be a longer period of time. But the reality is, God created it all. If someone says it's only this is the only possibility, they're in dangerous territory. Any teaching that says that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are not God is very, very dangerous territory. So, with all of these teachings, we're saying there's a dangerous teaching here, there's a dangerous teaching here, there's a dangerous teaching here. Well, who decides what teachings are right? That's a fantastic question. Does our church decide that? Does the Pope decide that? Does some denominational group decide that and tell us what we're supposed to believe? Does one person sit down and say, this is it? The answer is no, 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 and no. 
which leads to our second basic instruction for today's teaching. The Bible is inspired and given to us directly by God. It has no fault. It should not be added to or taken away from. The Bible is our source of truth. It's the final authority. Once a mother cat with her kitten was in New York City, wanted to get to the other side of the street, but it was a struggle. Every time she stepped out, cars would come. And a police officer saw the situation, and she, she stepped into the traffic and put up her hands, and the traffic stopped, and the cat carried her kitten safely to the other side. All of us need an authority that's greater than us to help us navigate the chaos and dangers and struggles of life so that we can arrive safely to the other side. And the final authority for us is the Bible. It's the Word of God. You might say, well, isn't truth relative? You know, doesn't it kind of depend on the situation? No, it doesn't. Two plus two equals four. Two plus two does not equal five. Math has final authority, <clears throat> and spiritual truth has a final authority. So when someone says something, no matter what they say <clears throat> or what role they're in, we should check what they say and test it against the Bible. Even the words of Paul, who, who clearly and, near, and wrote nearly half of the New Testament, even his words were tested by the Scriptures. Acts 17.11 says, The Bereans were more noble because they searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas said was true or not. To be really honest, in a way, we don't really even like having a what we believe statement as a church because we want people to find the truth in the Bible, not in a statement and not in a creed. So we encourage you to read your Bible and to study it and to memorize it, to, to bring it with you to groups and to worship, to work and to school, to refer to it throughout the day. Discover for yourself that the Bible contains truth for everyday life. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When God created Adam and Eve, he breathed life into them. God also breathed life into the Bible. That's literally what the word inspired means, breathed into. The Bible is inspired, breathed into by God, and it provides all the spiritual nourishment that we need. It teaches us, rebukes us, corrects us, and it trains us so that we are ready to go out and serve and do what God has asked us to do. And in the Bible, we discover answers for the, the how and why and what questions. Here's another important truth about the Bible that comes from the very last chapter of the very last book nearly the very last verses of the Bible. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. 
God is not, not, not okay with us taking things out of the word or adding things to it. He's not okay that, that I can do this. Maybe you can too. I, I focus on the things that I really like in the Bible, and I ignore the things that I don't like so much. Just let those go away. This is a warning that says, if you do that, you're messing with eternity. It's very dangerous. Okay, yeah, but didn't people write the Bible? Sure they did. And no, they didn't. Many people contributed to the writing of the Bible. About 40 people over about 1,500 years were involved. And their personalities and perspectives and unique writing styles are all discernible, as are the situations of the people they're addressing. Yet, there is one unifying message of truth from God that is woven from Genesis to Revelation. People were the scribes, but God is the author. That's why it's called God's Word. God speaks to our world today. He reveals who He is, who we are, and how He's at work restoring what's been broken. Now, maybe you've heard, you know, the Bible is full of all kinds of errors, right? It just has all kinds of wrong stuff in it. No, it doesn't. Honestly, there are some challenges, but with careful study and, and, and thoughtful examination, those issues can be addressed. And we encourage you uh, to check it out. And we encourage you to check out another class that meets right now as well. It's called, Is the Bible Reliable? Great class to check out Sunday mornings at 1030 in the Youth Center. The Bible is inspired and given to us directly by God. It has no fault. It should not be added to or taken away from. Okay, let's say I believe that the Bible is God's word. So which version then should I use? Well, first, to read the Bible in its original languages, you need to learn ancient Hebrew, ancient Greek, and Aramaic. So that's the best way to read the Bible, honestly. But most of us are not going to do that. So then we, we have to settle, if you will, for what's called a translation. And that's where you move something from one language to the other. And that's a complicated task. There's always... A challenge in doing that because if you know two modern languages, for example, you know what I'm talking about. If you say something in this language and then try to say it in this language, you can't do a direct word-for-word -word translation because it doesn't make sense. So how do I do that? How do we, what rules do we use for that? And, and scholars throughout history have gone through those processes and done a really good job. So there are some translations that are really better probably for general understanding, for, for narrative reading to get the basic idea of what's, what's written there. There are others that are a little more literal that help with understanding some of the nuances and, and some of the harder parts to dig into. So we're blessed that in English especially, we have so many translations that are available, and there's some really good ones. Some aren't so good, honestly, but some are really, really good. Um, so just, I would encourage you to, to use many translations. That's really the best thing you can do. Um, unless, again, you speak those original languages or, or know those original languages. 
get lots of translations and read them side by side and see if the meaning there is consistent. How does that work together? And if you do speak more than one modern language, there's benefit in reading it in various languages because the way that languages are structured sometimes helps you understand a nuance that you might not have gotten in a translation. And obviously commentaries and things are very helpful with that too. Here's another challenge though. Anytime that truth is presented, evil wants to mess it up. And that's obviously the case with the Bible. And we already looked at one danger, which is obviously adding to it or taking away from it. We're not supposed to do that. It's very dangerous. Here are a few other dangers that can happen when you get into Bible study. One is that you can take a verse out of context. You try to apply it to your life without understanding why it says, what it says, when it says it. We need to get context. Related to that is proof texting, which is just using a single verse or, or a passage to try to prove a point that isn't uh, affirmed or, or made elsewhere in the Word of God. Or it's dangerous to say, you know, this is the only translation that you can use. It's the right one. It's also dangerous to say, or to use a translation that is outside of mainstream Christianity. Be very careful with that. So, two basic beliefs, two important beliefs. Here's the question, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? I really believe that God has a basic step for each of us this week based on what we've talked about. First, you have to determine whether or not you believe the things that we've talked about. And if you do believe them, you need to see how that applies to your life this week. My guess is as we've looked just briefly at God's Word, something uh, encouraged you or something challenged you. Something flipped a switch for you. Maybe that's the thing for you this week, to dig into that, to see what God says, and see how that applies to your life. Not only is it learning about it, it's learning what to do with it. So what's the step God wants me to do this week? If you can answer that question, you're going to have a good week. When you know that there's only one God and that God gave us only one written source of truth, the Bible, you begin to have clarity. Questions like, how did I get here? Why am I here? And what happens next can be answered, and we can have peace. Our existence, our purpose, our eternity all begin to make sense. God formed you, and he calls you to make a difference in this world, and he offers you hope for eternal life because of what Jesus has done. If you want to talk more about that or, or pray with someone, we encourage you uh, to find me or any one of the leaders today. Earlier in today's message, we said this. The only way Jesus didn't deserve to die for claiming to be God is if he was God, which he was and is, will always be, and always has been. Jesus didn't deserve to die for that, but Jesus did die. Why did Jesus die? He died because he loves us. He knew that our sin had separated us from God 
and that the only way to bridge that gap was to take the punishment that we deserved on himself. And so he did that. 